0: Hey my name is Jay Warner Wallace and I'm the author of Cold Case Christianity. I I gotta tell you, if you're listening to this radio, you know you're in a good place. And I cannot endorse more highly the intellect and the passion of your host. So just enjoy this radio program. Is he a real one radio? Is the real thing. And Veda, thank you so much for doing the most important work of the kingdom. Hey, this is Greg Kokel, author of Tactics a Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions and the story of reality, how the world began, how it ends, and everything important that happens in between. And you're listening
1: to Is He a Real One? Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? I am your host, Veda Hedgman, and we are here today on Is He a Real One Radio. And we have a very special guest today. We have a very special guest today. And before we get there, before we get to our guest, Walt higher? I just want to thank you. If you are listening on iHeartRadio, we want to welcome you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are listening on Spotify, iTunes, if you're listening and watching on YouTube, if you're watching on YouTube, I want to wave at you because you can see me. And and we just want to thank you so much. And we're uh, praying for another episode where the Lord is glorified. Uh, So today we have uh, Walt Hire, a very, very, very special guest. He is an author. He is a husband. He's a father, a man of God. And he is also someone who struggled with gender identity for a number of years. He was born male. You know, he did undergo surgery to transition and live life as a female for, I believe, a total of eight years. Mm-hmm. And he ultimately detransitioned back to water and living life as a male. And And with all the things that he has gone through and experienced, he now has an amazing ministry. He has an incredible testimony. And he is here to share his story with us, his wisdom with us, and his heart with us to hopefully help someone who may be going through something similar. Or maybe someone who knows someone who's going through something similar. Or for us to just simply, you know, be aware, you know, so that we can say the truth biblically but also have the appropriate compassion. You know, he can explain it a lot better than me. With that said, uh, I want to introduce Walt Hire. Walt, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit, you know, about transgenderism and what's going on in the world today uh, regarding this topic. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure to be on. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's an important topic, and I'm I'm glad we have this venue to um, kind of talk to some people about this and you and I have this conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Oh man, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So is there anything uh, additional as far as introducing yourself that you would like to add that maybe I didn't, that maybe I didn't say?
0: No, no, you covered it quite, quite well. So we can just kind of dive into this and get into what uh, issues that um, people are wondering about. I'm sure there's a lot of questions. There's a lot, certainly a lot of confusion and, and we hopefully we can cure some, uh, clear some of those things up for people today.
1: Awesome. So let, let, let's start off with talking a little bit more about yourself and your testimony. You know, so can you can you tell us a little more about your struggle with gender identity?
0: Yeah, I, you know, my my struggle actually started uh, over seventy five years ago. If you can imagine, that's a long time ago. Uh, when I was four years old, I'm 79, I'll be um, 80 years old later on this year. So, you know, it's been a long journey. But, um, you know, the Lord's been um, he revealed himself at a point where I was redeemed and restored. But back in 1944, when I was just four years old, living in Los Angeles, um, in the little area called Highland Park uh, off of Figueroa. And um, my my grandmother was a seamstress, and she uh, made dresses for women in the neighborhood. That was her income. Um, she was very poor, and so that was kind of what she did. But she ended up making me a dress, and then telling me at four years old how cute I looked in that dress. what And looking back through the years, you know, at the time when Grandma put me in that dress, uh, I had no idea what the consequences were. Or, what the impact would be of just a boy wearing a dress and grandma saying, How cute I look. But today, what I realize is that anytime we take a young boy and put him in a dress, what we're and affirm them and say, Boy, how cute you look, or kind of encourage them to move that way, what we're really saying, and this is really pivotal, what we're really saying is there's something wrong with you as a boy. And mm-hmm. it, it's not so much that we're affirming them as a girl as we're telling them at that point there's something wrong with them so at that point as a boy there's something wrong with them and so there is where the confusion starts we i call it gender distress people call it gender dysphoria but it's it is gender distress you become disenchanted with who you are because people are saying wow you you look so cute the other way and but but people don't tell you that it's impossible to become somebody else. You know, that's, that's the myth about this. And so I lived with this uh, secret uh, for about two and a half years at grandma's house before my parents found out. And then my dad, who was a auxiliary policeman for LAPD, and my grandfather at the time was a detective. And when my dad found out, obviously, he was very upset that grandma was doing this to his boy, he couldn't believe that it was happening. And so that just started this whole journey and then by the time I was 8 years old my dad's adopted brother because I'd been wearing this purple dress that grandma made me thought I was fair game for sexual molestation so you can if you can kind of grasp the fact that had grandma not made the dress and put me in it and affirmed me I never would have been sexually molested so you see if we can if we can start putting the pieces together put the links together and understand the consequences of putting boys in dresses. The destructive side of this is horrific. And, you know, child abuse uh, is is a crime, but wow. the uncle was never prosecuted. When I was an adult, uh, later in li- much later in life, he was um, in his 60s, I decided it was time to confront him about it. And three days before I was gonna meet with him, in a California uh, area, uh, he died of a heart attack, and I think wow. I think the stress of him having to face what he did overcame him, mm. and and I think so. If we if we can just begin to understand <clears throat> the significance, see that purple dress caused him to do something that he otherwise wouldn't have done, caused me to be sexually molested, and then in confronting him, caused him. I believe, cost him his life. And so, you know, there's a lot of bad things that happen. It's, this is not a benign thing, telling children you're not who they are and try to guide them in a different direction. You know, God's made it very clear that we are fixed and unchangeable at conception. Game is over at that point. And no man can change that, even though people continue to try to do so. So I struggled with this gender identity thing in the 40s because you know very well, there was no discussion, there were no terms like gender dysphoria, transgenderism or anything until probably the, the mid-50s when Christine Jorgensen uh, made the headlines and uh, Christine Jorgensen was a Marine. And I listened to that story that they talked about and saw the news and, and I identified with it. I said, that must be me. Mm-hmm. And this is another false Way of associating ourselves with something that isn't true. I mean, um, here's Christine Jorgensen having the surgery, and I thought, well, maybe I should have the surgery. And so eventually, um, and and this is kind of interesting, many of the people I deal with, I'd say over 90% of them, of the hundreds of people, are not homosexual. Transgenderism isn't necessarily somebody who's struggling with uh, same sex attraction or homosexuality. They have a very difficult time with being who they are for in some cases sexual molestation physical abuse emotional abuse loss whatever it is so I, I make sure we don't put all these people in a category of being homosexual because I never was and so I got married um, and had two children I was uh, uh, I worked for uh, North American aviation on the Apollo space missions I worked for American Honda I had a successful career but that purple dress haunted me wow. to the point to the point to where in my, at 19, when I was 40 years old, I went to a, a gender therapist, a specialist, and he said, oh, you need hormone therapy and surgery to resolve these issues because you have gender dysphoria. So with no oppositional voices at the time, that was all you heard in 1981, and so I opted to have the hormones and divorce my wife, leave my kids, and take on the identity of Laura Jensen. I lost my job and I became homeless and lived in Long Beach, California in a park for a few days until someone took me in and put me in a garage and let me live in their garage with the turtles that were in the garage as well. So this this journey back was very slow. Um, I I. I struggled for many years after that to regain um, my footing. But it was when I met a pastor, uh, was introduced to a pastor in Pleasanton, California who took me into his house with his family and began to minister to me. And we had a time at, all the time at night after the family had gone to bed, we would stay up till two in the morning having what we referred to as philosophical conversations about transgenderism. Well, what they really were, were these big fights where we were arguing about what was going on, what I was feeling. But the Lord, through that, revealed so many things to me. And as you mentioned, I now have a ministry, my wife and I do, where we minister to people in 180 countries around the world. And so what, what's the truth is, that this is what's so pivotal, is mm-hmm. that no one can change from one gender to the other. You can't medically change. You can't change hormonally. You can't change biologically. You can't change scientifically. And biblically, it's a sin to even attempt to change your body, because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So anytime you take to cutting on your body or taking hormones, trying to alter what God has made, you are committing a sin. Now, having the feelings you know, if you're just struggling with the feelings, the feelings are not a sin. It's the action that you're taking to change your body and try to prevent, present yourself as someone else that becomes a part of our sinful nature. That's part of our flesh nature that we need to work through.
1: Man, it's, uh, that's, that's so powerful, interesting, and deep, man. Everything that you just said is so much to unpack there you know uh, I'll kind of start off with the last thing that you said you know about you know about it Uh, you you mentioned it being a sin you know uh, changing how God you know created you and the, the, the reason I kind of want to focus in on that is because obviously the topic of this particular conversation that you and I are having is transgenderism gender identity but can you tell us a little bit about about the Lord giving you victory over this struggle you know, can can you talk to us about that? You know, I I know that you've, you know, you've described your experience with the Lord, but if, if, if you could even focus in on the, the daily, uh, uh, struggle or the, or the daily prayer life or whatever it takes, because, you know, Jesus says to pick up our Christ, uh, pick up our cross and follow him daily. Right. You know, so can you talk to us about how just as a, lifestyle and yep. maybe even today i don't know i've never heard you t- I, i've never in my research i've never heard you talk about this but can you talk to us about how as as a lifestyle how you need to focus on the holy spirit how you need to focus on jesus to be victorious over this every single day
0: yeah and I, you know that's such a great question i'm so glad you asked because this is this was one of the important things i i went to a pastor Um, I went to one church in California and went as Laura because I had already transitioned. I was living the life and I went to church and I signed in the newcomer book as Laura and Mm -hmm. the ladies of the church surrounded me. It was a small church and they welcomed me in and they had no judgment against me. You know, it was, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be accepted as Laura. And I want to tell you, this is a contrasting story about how the Lord works. And so when the pastor got up and, and spoke the message that day. It was all good. After the message was over, I went out and got the donut and coffee and met with people, got my car and went home. Well, that afternoon, I looked out the window of my little condo and up the walkway was coming the pastor who had just given the message and he was knocking on my door. I opened the door and he stepped in and he said, we don't want your kind in our church. And I, and I got this big smile on my face and I said, oh, really? What kind do you want in your church? You know, immediately I could see, you know, he was unaware that the people in church are broken people. Hmm. People are there because they need the redemptive power and grace of Jesus Christ. So I knew that wasn't the church for me, but I went to another church where I met with the pastor, Jeff Ferrar in Central California, and he did exactly the best thing that was going to help me through my daily struggle. And he said, Walt, what I want you to do as I entered this church is I want you to write a daily or weekly prayer letter that we can have about 35 people in the church read your daily struggle. So each day I made kind of a journal that turned out to be a weekly prayer letter so people could see my daily struggle, what I was struggling with, whether it was financial, whether it was emotional, whether it was a job. I had over 250 job interviews and couldn't get employment. Because in the 80s, nobody wants somebody who had gone through this kind of thing. Mm. So, you know, I was rejected on every level. I never got discouraged. I never got upset. I never said, why me? I always kind of put a smile on it and said, you know, this, th- this journey, I know that at the end, the Lord is going to bring me through it. I just don't know how he's going to do it. But that prayer letter became the voice of all these people praying over me at church. And, and eventually, what Pastor Jeff really revealed to me was that he kept meeting with me. You see, the pastor sat with me at lunch. He sat with me in the afternoon. He had me to his house. He wanted to know my internal struggles, and he could see them mm-hmm. from the prayer letter, and he could see them from meeting with me personally. We don't need to dismiss people who are struggling. We need to engage with them and find out why they're struggling, and, and, and as he says, he was looking at my heart. What was my heart like? And the, the, the most important thing is, if somebody is in the church that's struggling, we need to know, are they defiant against the Lord being able to redeem and restore their life? And if they are defiant, that's very likely that redemption and restoration is not going to come to them because mm. they're, just, they're just like a mule. They're going to put their feet down and say, nah uh. Not for me. I was made this way. Well, the people who are saying I was made this way will likely not have the opportunity for redemption and restoration. But I told Jeff, I feel like I'm a broken man, and once that admission, the where you come into relationship with Christ is you're coming to Him saying, I'm a broken man, living as a female, a pseudo female, not a real female. And the Lord can work with that. The Lord can work with us when we admit that we're broken and mm-hmm. need him. And that's, that was the key thing that the prayer letter did. It allowed me to write on a daily basis, allowed me to reflect on how broken I was. And that was a long process. What's interesting was I started writing that prayer letter 35 years ago. I just sent out another one yesterday. I'm still writing them to this, many of the same people 35 years later. Because the journey still goes on but now it's the other side it's it's the redemptive side and how i'm working in the lives of other people so the lord when the, when i said i was broken admitted that i needed the redemptive power of jesus christ in my life and asked the lord to be my lord and savior he came to me in a prayer and redeemed and restored my life so that I could go on and, and be a servant for the Lord.
1: Wow, man. Wow. Um, r- real quick, just so I know, as we're talking, do you have a heart out at 11 AM just so I can know how to organize this?
0: Uh, no, conversation I'm, I can go a little longer.
1: Okay. So man, that's uh, that that's powerful. So I, I want to, can, can we take a, a slight step back sure. and kind of define uh, what gender dysphoria is uh, what you, you mentioned that a couple of times,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, um, in, 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 your, in, in your talking. Can you, can you tell us what gender dysphoria is and how that relates to this topic and people who might struggle with this particular uh, sin?
0: Yeah, what I've learned over the years is that the diagnosis of gender dysphoria is actually um, does not really define what's happening. Dysphoria is the opposite of euphoria so it 's just a simple word that says you, that they 're not happy with their gender so Thank it's you. it isn 't really a diagnosis it 's an expression of how they feel about themselves so it 's really misguided to call gender dysphoria a diagnosis all oh, the The people who advocate for the gender change call it a diagnosis. I believe that 's a false premise. What we really have is uh, in my case as an example, I was sexually abused i I was I was depressed with who I was and didn't like who I was because somebody was sexually molesting me. I didn't like who I was because my grandma put me in a dress and told me I was better off as a girl than I was as a boy. So I had all of these mixed messages that brought harm to me and caused me to not like who I am. And one of the most important things that I've learned, and I even talked to somebody yesterday about this, that being a boy and sexually abused by an adult man you you want this is so critical you want to rid yourself of your genitalia so that you will never be sexually molested again not because you want to be a female yeah. you remove your genitalia so nobody will touch you you don't want to be abused so it's a protection it's a defense mechanism against being abused And women, which I found out and I spoke with yesterday, they have the same thing in in that they take on the identity of a man so that men won't sexually molest them again. These are women that have been sexually abused or harmed at a young age. So they feel like if they identify as a man and look like a man, that men won't touch them. So many of these situations are uh, in terms of, it's not gender dysphoria, It is actually people trying to protect themselves from being harmed by people. And so um, this this is a way to define it. So gender dysphoria is often misunderstood. It's just a word that says, it's the opposite of euphoria saying, I'm not happy who I am. But so I work with people to try to find out why aren't you happy with who you are? And over 50% of the time, I find out they've been sexually molested. And they've either been uh, emotionally, psychologically uh, uh, molested or, or hurt or harmed. Today, many of the kids who are identifying as transgender are doing it because they've found the internet and they found chat rooms. And it's become a social contagion, just an idea to kind of group together. You remember, if you go back and remember the goth days where everybody was dressing up in goth. Mm-hmm. today we have people, kids love to join in these groups and kind of right. join together and all join these groups. So we've just got the goth thing today. It's just a transgender thing. 15 years from now, it'll be something else. But wow. kids really, the kids identifying uh, as transgenders don't have gender dysphoria. They're just dealing with a social contagion because it's a fun thing to do. And many of the kids are doing it kind of to tick off their parents. And it's a way to take control of their life and um, that at least they feel like they're taking control of their life. They're actually losing control.
1: Well, you know, to to on the opposite coin of that, though, Walt, you know, though, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, those who disagree with you will say that. Uh, you know, that you were never uh, transgender, you know, you just went through something and your story is a very compelling story, a very passionate story, but you went through exactly how you've described and even those who And even those who might have uh, different types of gender dysphoria or -hmm. or whatever it may be, those are those scenarios, but those people just aren't transgender. But a transgender Mm -hmm. is a person who is actually stuck in the wrong body. So a person Mm -hmm. who is actually born a male, but is really female on the inside, won't fall into the category uh, or the categories that you've described so far? H- how would you respond to that? Because I've heard that um, a few times.
0: Yeah, well, that's, that's such a great question. Um, the fact of the matter is no one has ever shown scientifically, medically, or any other way that anyone is a different person inside, that anyone has a different brain. That When they do these brain exams and say the brain changed uh, or is different it's it's always the brain of a cadaver, a cadaver person who had taken hormones, uh, cross-gender hormones for years, which altered the brain. But what we need to understand is that nobody, nobody ever is born with the wrong body or the wrong brain. Uh, they had something in them that has either they've just had this great desire to be different. Maybe they... Maybe it's an effeminate boy that feel, with, thinks he feels more comfortable being a girl or a, a very butchy kind of girl who feels like she'd be more comfortable as a boy. But the truth is, here's the hard truth. No one, and I'll explain it, no one is transgender. The reason I say that is that, and I, I addressed this early on, no one can medically, surgically, hormonally, or scientifically change genders. So that in itself explains no one can transgender from one gender to the other. So it's a false premise. The only thing we can do is cosmetically alter ourselves with hormones and surgery to make us look like we change genders. But the fact of the matter is no one has ever changed genders. So with that in mind, there are no transgenders. It's a word that was invented by Harry Benjamin in the, uh, in the early 50s, and he applied it to people who were taking hormones and having surgery. But as a medical fact or a biblical fact or a psychological, uh, psychiatric fact, no one ever changes from one gender to the other. So then the conclusion is there are no transgenders. Hmm.
1: So what about, um you know, what about if someone hears this and they go, okay, well, I hear what you're saying, Walt. However, I was born a male. I'm now living life as a female, but I am happier. Or maybe I have a a, a son, you know, who was born male and he's now living life as a female and he seems happier. How do you respond to that if they say, why is this wrong if this person is living life happier, now that they've transitioned to the opposite sex?
0: Well, you know, happiness is uh, very subjective. I would, I would suggest to the people if, if they can come to the point of admitting that they're broken and come to the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, they will find out what real happiness is. They're, they're living what they think and believe is a happier life. But until we are redeemed and restored and living a, a life that honors and glorifies Jesus Christ, we don't know what happiness is.
1: My God my god that's that's powerful that that's deep that's deep and i and i do love that you uh, th- that you answered that way and by the way i'm sure y'all can see that uh, my daughter um, <laughs> who's who's almost 2 just wanted to make a cameo you know but but there is freedom in living for christ and submitting our flesh to christ and there is a happiness that you know that is greater than you know than we could ever you know, imagine, you know, I, I do love how you uh, answered that. Would, how would you, uh, I'm going to need you to step out, baby. <laughs> um, how would you, how, how would you uh, connect the gender identity struggle with mental illness? Is there a connection there at all? Is that fair? Is it unfair? Yeah. Is it, it offensive? Is it, is, it, is it, what is the connection there?
0: well the the truth is offensive so I'll, I'll apologize for that at first i mean we i i remember following a lawyer on a, a speaking engagement and the lawyer said all truth is offensive so just brace mm. yourself amen and so um so um what we have and I've actually forgot your question. I was so focused on the lawyer. Give it back to me again.
1: <laughs> oh, well, I was talking about the connection with gender ah. identity struggle and mental illness.
0: Yeah. Well, what you, if we can step back for a minute and understand that many of the people who are struggling with their gender are actually suffering from what we call body dysmorphia. In other words, they don't like their body. Okay. So, you know, this, there's things called body dysmorphia. There's other disorders called dissociative disorder. There's a bipolar disorder where they're up and down. This is part of that euphoria and dysphoria. Um, and schizophrenia uh, has been associated with this. Uh, Obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, there are people who just get caught up in doing surgeries to themselves. They're addicted to surgeries. I met a guy named Blair In Maryland, a few years back, I met him in a coffee shop because he wanted to talk to me. Blair had had 167, quote, surgeries to make himself look like a woman. Wow. And and he was still wanting more surgeries because he could never get satisfied Mm. with the surgeries he was having. And to be honest with you, when I, I didn't know what to expect when I walked into the coffee shop that day, but he looked like somebody who had been in a fire. And he's had so many surgeries. He's so, his face is so disformed that I started to weep before I even talked to him. I thought, oh my gosh, what have they done to this poor poor man? So uh, I I think there's addictions uh, to the surgery. There's this deep well within us that only Jesus Christ can fill. Uh, If we're trying to resolve how we feel about ourselves from something outside, then we need to look to put Jesus Christ in our heart, in our soul, and in our mind. And that's where the real freedom and real happiness comes from. It doesn't come from a surgeon cutting on your body. It doesn't come from hormones. And it doesn't come from identifying as somebody else. It comes from the power and grace of Jesus Christ to redeem and restore your life so you can honor and glorify him in every single thing you do. And changing your gender does not honor and glorify the man who made you.
1: So man, man, I, I want to ask you so much, but I'm not going to keep you forever. <laughs> okay. So how would you how would you classify Those of us who are parents, who have children who seem to struggle with this and how they should react to it, because in the media, in society nowadays, it's celebrated, you know, it's, you know, you're championed if you are championing the idea of your daughter, you know, being or or living as a male and vice versa you know we we even have celebrities you know who are somewhat like the poster child of it right now you know but how how do you what do you think is the proper way to address a a, a child a young child who might be seven eight nine Mm -hmm. ten eleven twelve something like that who is struggling with this like what is the conversation like what is the like what do you what do you think is the proper approach dealing with that
0: yeah well at some point this got introduced to them was it on television was it in a book at school was it because of conversations around them was it an adult that suggested or began to talk about this because keep in mind 20 years ago no kids were talking about this mm-hmm. this is this has only come because we have a lot of tv shows we have schools giving the kids books. We're indoctrinating kids into thinking they can change gender. So a parent needs to do what is proper, and that is to tell them the truth. No, Johnny, you can't become Judy. It's not possible. I understand you may have those feelings, but I think what we need to understand is that a child's curiosity about a a different gender is not a sign that they need to change their gender. Curiosity is a natural thing for a young child. And so I, I think we just need to keep reinforcing and affirming them as how God made them at conception and let them know that it can't change and that the people who are suggesting that people change, it's, it's okay to say, no, that doesn't happen. You can't become somebody else. We need to start telling the truth. And mm. we, don't, we don't need to fold up our tent and go this way that's you know, politically correct because people are gonna reward us because we're lying. It's a lie to tell a kid they can change their gender. They can't do it. Mm. And if you, if you take some of the Hollywood stars, Alexis Arquette is probably a good example of that. And I wrote about Alexis Arquette, who at 13 changed from a boy to a girl, and at 39 said the whole thing I've been living this transgender. It was Alexis Arquette was in movies and uh, all these different things over the years, was a celebrated LGBT poster child, came out and said, no one can change genders. It is all, in her words, BS. And no one should even attempt to do this. She was total scorn for the idea. So I think what parents need to know is that if they stay with the truth, that later on in life, the kids will know that you told them the truth. If you tell them a lie, that they can change genders, the kids will learn that you lied to them and that you betrayed their trust as a parent by telling them they could change genders when, in fact, it was just a social ideology that's a fad today. I know a lot of parents think that they're hip, slick, and cool because they have a transgender kid that they can talk about and how how wonderful they are. Well, when the kid is comes out of this later on and says why did you lie to me you know that parent's not going to come out and say I did the right thing they'll know that they did the wrong thing we need to tell the kids the truth
1: so I have uh, so I have two daughters you just saw one you know one is uh, still a baby I have another daughter who's 12 I know I don't might not look like it but I have a daughter who's 12 going to be 13 this year is it fair or unfair For a parent to use a comparison, like, for instance, I wouldn't want if my 12 year old daughter said daddy, I absolutely want a tattoo of Tinkerbell like I love Tinkerbell, and I want a tattoo of it. And as a parent, I would say no, I don't think that's a good idea. And I will go through a number of reasons. One of them being, you know, you might not like Tinkerbell in eight years. You know, you you might grow out of that, <laughs> you, you know, that maybe when you're grown and you decide to get that tattoo later, I know adults who have that tattoo,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: is that a fair, or I know it's not quite the exact same thing, but is that a fair or unfair comparison as far as someone being young who is having a, uh, a, a desire or having and an wanting to act on a certain intent, but it may not be something that they ultimately end up you know wanting to live with forever
0: right well, what you're saying is is that if somebody's going to buy into having a tattoo or buy into the fact that they're a different gender, they have to buy into the fact that they will never ever change their mind and think it's a mistake, and what we know is that from studies that a vast majority of people after 13 to 15 years regret having tattoos. Right. They wish they'd had myself
1: included. Myself included.
0: Yeah. And so this is kind of so what we know is that people end up wishing they hadn't done things when they were young and wishing that we had an adult in the room to tell us the truth not to do this. And so we need to be the adults in the room telling them this is not a good idea. That you know, wait until you're 25 and see if you still want that tattoo. And Mm. likely, Tinkerbell isn't going to be a good idea at 25. So, um, I you know, there's a lot of comparisons with tattoos, quite frankly, and I'm glad you brought that up. I've seen them at John Hopkins Hospital when I met with a psychiatric doctor there. He showed the correlation between tattoos and regret and sex change and regret. There, there, there is a there is a span of time where people end up having similar regrets. I wished I hadn't done it. It was foolish. And now I need to you know, go back in if I can and take the, but it's a lot more expensive to take it off. But, so I think it's a fair comparison.
1: And so and you, you sort of answered this question when I asked you about our approach with, uh, you know, with children, if we know children or have children that kind of struggle with uh, the gender identity. But if you could speak to the 10 year old you, what would you what would you say with the wisdom, the experience, the prayer life, all of the stuff that you have now at this stage in your life? If you could talk to the 10 or 11 year old you, what would you say?
0: Well, I want to know why they think, or what happened, or why they feel that way. What is it that at the core, when did you start feeling this way? How did this come about? In my case, I was sexually abused. I would have to talk about Uncle Fred hurting me inappropriately. And that that was a pivotal point in my life. Another child might say it was something else that happened. I mean, I've had so many different stories where... I lost my dad, I lost my mom, I lost my brother. Um, I was in seven different foster homes. I was physically abused. I talked to a guy from Palm Springs, California, who was struggling with gender identities in a family of 12 people, uh, of kids. And he said he couldn't ever make himself sort of known in, in the family. So I changed genders just so people would see who I was and now he regrets it and is de-transitioning. He just wanted people to see him. So I, I think w- when we're talking to people, we a child at 10 years old, we need to know why they feel so deep and so strong about needing to change who they are. Why don't you like who you are now? Get that question answered.
1: You know, I when, when I look at this, And you can let me know if you agree or if I'm sort of out of pocket here. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I try to choose my because this isn't something I know that this isn't something that I've personally struggled with. I try to, you know, be conscious of that when I am speaking out against it, speaking truth, but still having some compassion. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, when I look at this, though. I feel like it's sort of sexualizing children, like the children who who do it, you know, because even when I see a, a young male who seems to be struggling with gender identity, again, I'll use my daughter as an example. Sometimes I see them wearing stuff that I don't want my 12 year old, and my daughter was born a female. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want my daughter wearing that right now. I don't want her wearing a shirt that's you know, that's, you know, that that stops way up here. You know, mm-hmm. I, there's a she does paint her nails, but there's a level of maturity that because she's 12, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want the colors to be so dark. And now, these are parenting decisions. I'm not saying every single parent who has a daughter will follow the guidelines that I'm choosing to go through. But what I'm saying is it it does seem to me to be sort of Sexualizing children a little bit, almost like you're looking at them and you see a potential sexual object. And I'm trying to be loving, caring when I say this, but you know, how would you respond to that?
0: Well, it's true. The people who started the whole transgender movement—Alfred Kinsey, Harry Benjamin, and John Money—who all pushed the surgical procedures of changing boys into girls—were all and I'll repeat it, all pedophile activists who felt it was appropriate for adult men to have sex with young boys. And it was a way to make boys look more attractive.
1: Well, that was actually, uh, I, I should have known that my question was going to lead into that. I actually was uh, going to ask uh, about those three gentlemen, about Alfred Kinsey, Harry Benjamin, and and Dr. Money. Right. So since since you answered it that way, can you elaborate a little bit um, on Alfred Kinsey, Harry Benjamin, and Dr. Money, and how they uh, influenced the transgender origins and the terms and and all that stuff?
0: Yeah, I've written extensively about it, and I, I really, if people want to get into it, I'll give you a little bit of it, but it's in my book, Paper Genders, and... Um,
1: yeah. Uh, so I don't have that book in front of me. I did read that book. I do have two of your books. This is the most recent one. You right. know, where it has a number of articles. I was going to mention this at the end. We can focus in on it. Walter Heyer has a number of really, really great books. So if I sound informed, it's because part of my research was reading a number of his books and articles. So sorry, I just yeah. thought that was a good. Yeah,
0: no, but the, the, the issues about Kinsey, Benjamin and Money are are really articulated well in the book paper genders. And so uh, that would be a good book. But they, they just, uh, Alfred Kinsey brought a, an effeminate boy to Harry Benjamin and Harry Benjamin decided that, well, maybe if I give him hormones and try to change him into a girl, that he'll be happy. And he met with a group of psychiatric doctors to see if they would approve of him doing this. And every one of the doctors he met with said, don't do it. It's not a good idea. Benjamin went ahead and did it anyway. Uh, He sent the the child from the U.S. off to Europe for sex change surgery, where they were doing it in the Netherlands or somewhere over there. And they never heard from the boy again. So they don't know uh, what happened to him. They don't know the outcome. They just know that he started him on hormones and shoved him across the ocean. So, And John Money actually was probably one of the most renowned persons in this whole sex change idea industry who lied for years about his research and fraudulently said that it was successful. And finally, after 20 some odd years, had to come out and confess that he had lied in his research papers and that there wasn't success with this surgical procedure. And um, those are in that book. So um, they were all pedophile activists who were pushing this. And today, pedophile activists are still pushing this today.
1: Wow, man, that's, that's, that's deep and really interesting. What, what were the eight years like as Laura for you, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, like, what what were those years like?
0: Well, it was really a time of discovering the truth. Um, You know, you you feel like you're living the truth when you first change, and then you realize that um, maybe it isn't. And so you began to have um, a lot of self-interaction, self-reflection, what happened. And, and so during this time, you're trying to put on, quote, a good face, and you're trying to make it look like you're happy because you don't want people to think that you made a mistake. And so you, you sort of portray this thing. And, and there were times when I thought I was okay. And there were times when I didn't think I was okay. There were times when I wondered what I was doing. And so I think you go through such a range of emotions and feelings, and it wasn't until I encountered Pastor Jeff Ferrar in Central California at Central Peninsula Church that I, be- I really came to realize that the surgery not only didn't change me, it broke me. Mm. It broke me, and that was my brokenness. That surgery was the ultimate breaking of God's creation of a man, And that I needed the Lord Jesus Christ to touch my heart and my soul and my mind and redeem and restore my life, which he did. And that's in the book, as you saw, A Transgender's Faith, the story about how he came to me in prayer.
1: Now, I'm sorry to, uh, you know, kind of jump back and forth, you know, in in the areas of it. But going back to the story of the uh, of you and your testimony you you have children right you know Mm -hmm. so at at the time your daughter was about 16 and your son was about 12 at the time of your transition to -hmm. live life uh formally as laura how would you say this impacted them emotionally psychologically spiritually etc
0: no i i think it um i think it really had a horrible impact on them i had betrayed them as a father i had destroyed their trust in uh, adults who are supposed to be protecting them. Uh, what I did uh, to them um, it has left me, it's, that's why I call the website Sex Change Regret. It's not my regret for having gone through it. It's the regret that I caused my children such horrific um, damage as not being their father, not being true to who God had intended me to be. Uh, thankfully, through my 30 years of detransitioning, uh, my kids are now okay. We have a great relationship. I talk with them frequently every week. So, um, the Lord did um, restore what the locust did tore down, but um, it took a lot of years.
1: My God, you know, this is um in my, in my prayer and my, in my studies, I've, you know, before we, you know, agreed to do this interview, you know, I was already familiar with your work and stuff. And, and one of the things that really ministered to me, particularly in preparing, you know, for our conversation is I was really thinking about the power of the Holy Spirit and how God can change something, even when it seems like we will never, ever, ever defeat this. And this might mean that we have to spend a lot of time in prayer. This might mean that we have to spend a lot of time studying his word. This might mean we have to, you know, spend a lot of time doing ministry or whatever it may be. But when we submit ourselves to God, God can give us victory over something. So again, this particular conversation might be focused on transgenderism and gender identity, but for somebody else, maybe it's alcoholism, maybe it's adultery, you know, maybe you're, uh, maybe it's just promiscuity and, and fornication or pornography, or there are other things that are, that are not in God's will that some of us may struggle with. And even with me, I have things where I go, where I've gone at times, I am never, ever going to overcome this. It's just, God, I've prayed, I've tried to pray this thing away and it has not gone away. And it can be really discouraging. And the truth of the matter is sin is over our lives in our flesh. But if we try to defeat it ourselves, that's a battle that we're never going to win. You know, the Israel ruined logo has a cross. This, the sin was defeated at the cross. Mm -hmm. So we need to face the cross Every single day. Absolutely. Like, you know, there there's a hymn, Walt, um, that goes, I need thee, oh, I need thee. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that song, you know, but I love it because it, it goes... Every hour I need thee. I, I love that hymn because it says every hour. So right now it might be 11 a.m. Eastern a.m. And maybe I did all right at 10 a.m. Eastern, but it's 11 a.m. It's a whole nother hour. <laughs> and yeah. So Lord, I need you this hour too. And if I do well, cool. But at 12 o'clock, I'm going to need you again the entire hour because yeah. regardless of what it is in my flesh, it's a struggle. You know, I might be tempted at different times and I feel defeated, but the Lord's strength is made perfect in my weakness. And it. we just have to seek the Lord's face every single hour. And, and I'm getting kind of teary-eyed just thinking about it because it's really encouraging. I pray that if people are listening to this interview, And maybe they don't, maybe they're not struggling with it. And maybe they don't even know anybody, but if you don't take anything away from this, take away that whatever it is with you in your life, whatever it is, I'm totally preaching right now and I don't even Mm -hmm. care, (laughs) whatever it is in your life that seems like you will never, ever, ever defeat, understand, hey, maybe you will never, ever, ever defeat it, but Jesus can in fact jesus already did at the cross we just have to put our faith in him and maybe you say well i put my faith in him and man i still can't do it you got to do it every single hour like that hymn said every hour i need thee just keep just keep focusing on jesus just keep focusing on the power of the holy spirit the holy spirit can can do anything and while your story has encouraged me so much you know, so if I have a struggle tonight, I might have a struggle tomorrow. Your story is encouraging to me that it doesn't end there. Right. You know, it, you have any thoughts in this? Um, yeah. You're getting emotional.
0: I think it's so important for us to realize that when we are defeated, God wins.
1: My God. My God. <sighs> well, man, I, I, I guess we can end on... on, on. On that note, you know, I certainly want to shout out your website and and some more of your books. I know I did a little bit already, but before we even do that, is there any other is, is there any other last uh, comments? Is there anything that maybe I didn't ask uh, that you want to mention as it relates to this subject that can probably help somebody, or maybe something that you mentioned already but you kind of want to highlight or stress a little bit more?
0: Uh, no, I think we covered it all. And I think for people who want to go deeper, that they can go to the website, go to the bookstore on the website at Sexchange Regret and get the books and, and they can have them right there. They don't have to have me next to them. They've got the books they can put next to them like you've done and, and other people have done and certainly um, a Trans uh, Life Survivors, um, a Transgender's Faith, a Paper Genders, Uh, articles of impeachment against sex change. All those are great, great books or great resources that you can have on the shelf uh, that will really help anybody, whether it's a parent, whether it's a child, whether it's a psychologist. I had a psychiatric doctor actually bought 700 of the Trans Life Survivors book to give to other psychiatric doctors because he said it's one of the most important books of our time. Mm.
1: Actually, well, I, I do have one more question. So, Are there misconceptions that someone who doesn't personally struggle with this that that we should probably know about? And to give context to my question is, so I'm obviously a black man. I'm from Mm -hmm. America. And as a Christian apologist, one of the things that I find myself have to give responses for is, is Christianity the white man's religion? So that's a common objection uh, in the Black community, particularly in in America. And the truth of the matter is, it's not the, if you are studied on, even if you're going to argue that Christianity isn't true, it still isn't the quote-unquote white man's religion. You know, Christianity is rooted in Judaic history and all all kind of stuff, and it's just a ridiculous objection. However, there is, I remember I, I did a presentation on this Um, and, and, uh, a few white friends of mine, you know, uh, came to me and they said they didn't even know that this was an issue that had to be addressed. And I explained it to them and they said, well, um, so, so basically, you know, they're just denying truth because they have an emotional connection to something. And, and I really urged, excuse me. I really urged them to not dismiss the emotional aspect that people, that, that people who might Uh, take heed to that objection might have, because there are certain pains within the Black community that might make it hard for some to hear the gospel. So I just use that as an example, as far as people who aren't personally um, dealing with the struggle of of gender identity are there any misconceptions that we should know about that we should be conscious of as we learn more or potentially even have conversations about this topic
0: yeah i think there's a couple of things some of the people we talked about there are no transgenders um, earlier because you can't transgender but what we do have is people who identify as transgender that are suffering from actually disorders like autogynephilia Mm. Uh, which is a sexual fetish disorder. They actually become uh, the object of their own sexual affection. That's probably represent a large portion of the population of adult men who go through this. Then we have people who have uh, these are misconceptions that they're transgender. They're not. They have autogynephilia or they have what we call a transvestic fetish, or maybe they're just cross dressers and they identify as transgender when they're not. Uh, maybe they're they have they're just transvestites and they're not transgender so th- all of these things are misconceptions and the drag queens are primarily not transgender they're just entertainers you know they're very flamboyant they're they're very out there uh, but they identify as transgender when in fact they're not so these are these are the misconceptions but i will you know i kind of laugh when you mention about uh, religion being a white man's religion i've spoken at all black churches and <laughs> i got to tell you what they have the most powerful faith of anybody that I've ever met. I mean, you want to get an energized audience, just go to a church with oh, yeah. all, all the black people in it. And I went to one in South Carolina and I'm telling you, I went out of there just like I was like 10 feet off the ground when I left there. And, and <laughs> so um, it, it's exciting. I, I love the energy that you get in the black church uh, in the white church. Not so much, uh, not so much of that great energy. So, I don't know. Um, if I were to look at it, I would say I think the, the black community has got this down pretty good when it comes to Jesus.
1: <laughs> I mean, I know just listening to your story, man, I almost run around this little studio. I mean, just, you know, because it's just so powerful, you know. So the website is uh, Sex Change Regret. You know, if anyone wants to learn more, you know, it, there are a number of articles and resources and things like that. Sex Change Regret. Uh, Walt Heyer has a lot of information there. And I think it's other authors and stuff who have contributed as well at, at different points. And <clears throat> he has a number of books. He has a number of books. So can, can you mention the one that uh, goes into that, that you mentioned earlier that goes into depth with Dr. Money again? Yeah. Can you mention the name of that, that one more
0: time? Yeah, that book is Paper Genders.
1: Okay, Paper, paper Genders. Paper
0: Genders, and it's an excellent book. It's been translated into Italian and published in Italy because they love the book
1: yeah and and this book a transgender's faith is a wonderful book i know we did go into some of his story and his testimony but there's so much more hopefully there's not just a movie about you but a tv series about you you know Um, Uh because it's it's so there's a tv show right now called for life that comes on abc that 50 a 50 cent produced and it originally was supposed to be a movie but 50 said, Man, there's so much stuff going into your, into your thing that this has to be a series because there's so many intricacies. Man, preferably, the Lord will open a door where there will be a TV series or something like that about your life. It's, this is very eye opening, very helpful if you want to um, be informed on the gender identity uh, crisis, you know, in humanity, how to approach it. And again, you'll also take away from it, like I said. One of the things that I also took away from it was that the Lord can change me in whatever it is that I'm struggling with as well. And that's not even why I picked up the book. Yeah, I wanted to just be more informed <laughs> about this scenario. And I found myself being very blessed. And also this book, uh, I think this is your most recent one articles yes. of impeachment against sex change surgery. It's a number of different, really, really, really helpful and informative articles. But if you just go on Amazon and type in Walt higher or just Google Walt higher books, there will be a number of books that come up. He is an excellent resource and, you may be listening to this and going, "Wow, Walt, Walt Hires' uh, story is really unique." It is unique, but he also isn't the only one. There are other activists and people who have uh, ministries that are similar. Um, so they, so they are out there. We can learn about it, and we can speak. And, and I love something. Uh, I love everything that you said in this interview. But you mentioned about the truth being offensive, but you're going to go ahead and and say the truth. We can be. We can speak the truth. We can speak biblical truth speak about God's will also have compassion that, you know, the, the Bible is not a hate manual, but we can speak the truth though, you know, and, 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 there, and there is a, a line and a way for us to speak biblical truth yet have compassion for our brother and sister in humanity. So uh, yeah. So those are some resources. Are there any other resources uh, that, that you want to shout out before we close out?
0: You no, know, I, I think telling the truth is compassion.
1: Man, that'll preach. I'm going to use that. I hope you don't mind. No. <laughs> All right. Well, as we always close, as we always close, we always ask the question, is he a real one? Yes, he is. And the he that we're talking about is Jesus, y'all. And as if the Bible didn't already tell us enough, look at what higher and how the Lord is using him. A thank, right. thank you so thank